Welcome to Poverty Unpacked, the podcast series in which we discuss the hidden sides of poverty. In conversation with others, we explore how poverty affects the mind, relationships, emotions and society as a whole, and what can be done to change it. In this episode, I will be speaking with Daniel Edmiston. Dan is lecturer in sociology and social policy at the University of Leeds. His research focuses on issues of poverty and inequality, welfare and social citizenship, particularly in the UK. In his most recent work, he explores the disconnect between relatively stable statistics on poverty in the UK, but an increase in experiences of acute financial hardship. We will be discussing what this disconnect means for our understanding of poverty and why insights into the experience of so-called deep poverty needs to be improved. Dan, thank you very much for joining the podcast and for making time to speak with us today. Now, in your recent work, you explore this paradox almost between official statistics of relative poverty in the UK and the actual experience of such poverty. And you note that while the proportion of people living in relative poverty has stayed quite stable over time in the last 10 years or so, that the degree of financial hardship that people in poverty experience has worsened considerably. Can you elaborate on this a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. So at the moment in the UK, I think there are two stories of poverty. So on the one hand, we've got a lot of research that suggests we're witnessing increasingly acute forms of financial hardship and destitution uh, amongst those that are most exposed to socioeconomic change and welfare state restructuring in contexts such as the UK. So as an example, we've seen food bank use uh, increase significantly, particularly since 2010. We've seen tragic cases of people uh, passing away uh, from extreme poverty uh, and destitution. We've seen things like rough sleeping, people sleeping on the streets, doubling over the last 10 years. Now, I think many of us are familiar with this story of poverty and economic disadvantage. I think it very often preoccupies and motivates our research and varying forms of political action uh, and engagement. And it's a story um, that also seems to capture the concerns of the general public. So we know that if we look at things like the British Social Attitude Survey, we can see that there's an increasing concern about quote unquote real poverty Uh, in Britain with an increasing proportion of people agreeing uh, that there's quite a lot uh, of real poverty in the UK. But alongside this, there's another story uh, of poverty. So if we look at government reporting on low incomes, those statistics tell a kind of a remarkable amount of stability in relative poverty rates with only minor or temporary increases for particular groups in recent years. And I think this this stability, this is the story of poverty that often captures 
the attention of many political leaders and policymakers in defending their track record or their policy position. And it can be used as a way of rebuffing criticism uh, by those concerned about that first story of poverty uh, that many people are familiar with. That's really interesting. Um, and then I wonder, how is it that the story is so dominated by those relative poverty rates and that we don't hear enough about the many and also worsening struggles that people in poverty have to deal with? Well, I think the the problem is, is that the main approach that we have in contexts such as the UK at the moment focuses on rates as opposed to degrees of poverty. It focuses on all those that fall below a, a given threshold. And that's a threshold that exists for good reason. It's about trying to track the living standards of people relative to the standards prevailing, in this case, median incomes. But it doesn't tell us uh, very much at all about the changing income dynamics, the sociodemographics, or the concentrations of poverty amongst low-income households. So if we think about the relative poverty rate in the UK, it's currently, at least according to the latest available data, about 22% of uh, the UK population are in relative poverty. Now, that's the same rates that were in relative poverty as 2007, 2008, and we know that there's been a lot that's happened since then. And even it's the same rate going further back to, say, 2002, 2003. And here, this is, you know, 22%. This is over a fifth of the UK population. So that's, you know, one in five people living in relative poverty. But there's a risk that those people that find themselves below the poverty line are treated as if they're all the same, as if their experience of poverty is as much as any other person who finds themselves below the relative poverty line. And there's a real risk there that we fail to account for heterogeneity and diversity that exists below the poverty line in terms of people's experience of it. I think that's a very important point to understand the differences in people's experiences of poverty and the degree of hardship that they might experience. So you've looked into the differences among those who live or have an income below that relative poverty line. And you've looked at different groups and also how things have changed over time, despite the stability we see in the poverty rates. What are some of the main findings in terms of those differences? So if one in f more than one in five people below the poverty line find themselves categorized as being quote unquote poor, we know that the experience of people that sit just below that threshold is going to be very different to those that find themselves quite far away from it. So if we intuitively know that, I think it raises a number of interesting questions about what matters when we're uh, measuring poverty and particularly why we might think that something like deep poverty matters. 
you know, if we look at the top of the income distribution, we know that there are ceiling effects when it comes to the impact of increasing income on well-being at the top. But it's, in, it's also possible that there are cliff edges when it comes to the experiences and the outcomes of those experiencing particularly acute forms of financial hardship over time. So when incomes fall below a certain point, do key opportunities or securities dissolve away? Do the kind of effects of deep poverty become compounding? And as a result of that, we have a kind of downward trajectory of well-being that gets steeper the further you fall below the poverty line. All of these kinds of questions, they obviously have quite significant wide-ranging implications for how we come to kind of theorize and define poverty, how we understand its dynamics, think about policy interventions, prioritize resources, evaluate policy. And so what I try to do is not necessarily take a, a definitive uh, approach to defining deep poverty, but take a more pluralistic approach using a, a variety of different measures. And in taking a, a number of different measures of deep poverty, I find that there is an increasing uh, depth of poverty in the UK that we've witnessed over the last 10 years. And we can see that those towards the very bottom of the income distribution have experienced significant nominal and relative losses in incomes, cash in their pockets, relative to those that sit closer to the poverty line. Now, the result of this is that there's been a kind of splintering in the economic fortunes of those that fall below the poverty line. We've seen those towards the very bottom lose most, and then those closest to the poverty line keep better pace with average living standards and incomes. The result of this, if we uh, think about it in more practical terms, is that on average, the poorest households in the UK have seen their annual income fall by almost 550 pounds since 2010. Now to put that into perspective, on average, that's around a month's rent in Yorkshire and the Humber, where I'm speaking to you from. It's five months worth of bills on electricity, gas and other fuel. And it's the cost of school dinners for one year for a child, at least at cost. So we can see that the very poorest households have lost the most over the last 10 years. And this just isn't reflected in the approach that's currently taken in government reporting on low incomes. And so you argue for a more pluralistic approach to measuring or assessing poverty. Can you elaborate a little bit what you mean with that? The reason that I think that it's really important to advocate for a pluralistic approach to not just the measurement of deep poverty, uh, but poverty measurement more generally, is that we can recognise the inherent limitations to any given approach. So 
at the beginning, I talked about how a threshold approach to poverty measurement has inevitable limitations. It can only tell us so much. And I think that when it comes to trying to measure deep poverty, the same principle applies. So we can look at trying to explore changes in income in, in nominal and relative terms for different um, income interval groups towards the bottom end of the income distribution. We can also use other measures like a poverty gap or the proportion of people that fall further away from uh, the relative poverty line. But each of those measures has its limitations. So when it comes to thinking about a pluralistic approach, I think that in, just in terms of measuring incomes and you know the resources, the cash we have in our pocket, we have to take a pluralistic approach in and of itself for, for that. When it comes to questions of agency, uh, welfare, civic participation and social, exclu uh, social exclusion and inclusion, I think it's clear that you have to use those measures in tandem as well to get the fullest picture of what's actually going on below the poverty line and trying to capture as much diversity as you can uh, within the, the category of quote unquote the poor. Yeah, very clear and a very good case for more in-depth or complementary measures of poverty, be that on the basis of income or other indicators. Now, your research also shows that when you take a more nuanced perspective of poverty and particularly deep poverty or what happens towards the bottom of the income distribution, that certain groups are much worse off than other groups. Now, you discuss this in relation also to welfare changes in the UK in the last 10 years, the period of austerity, and that many of these changes have been quite regressive. Can you explain what happened? What were some of the main changes in the welfare system in the last 10 years that caused this splintering that you were talking about and why some groups are so badly affected? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really hard for me to summarize the, the, the whole range of welfare reforms that have uh, come into effect over the last 10 years. But I think some of the the kind of key ones that have had a really quite profound effect on the profile and, and shape of poverty. Perhaps the most, most obvious one is the rollout of universal credit. So universal credit is a, a, a consolidation of six means-tested legacy benefits and it combines them all into one. Uh, and through the rollout of this new form of social security in the UK, distributional analysis suggests that poorest households are losing out most, particularly low earners, the self-employed, and some disability uh, benefit claimants. So that's kind of one of the key key aspects of reform in the social security system that have had quite uh, regressive uh, effects. Other changes have just been an outright removal of entitlement, so crisis loans, the child trust fund, education maintenance allowance, elements of child tax credit and working tax credit have all been abolished. 
there have been significant cuts to local authority budgets and a shift from uh, grants to discretionary loans and payments. The majority of working age benefits were frozen for four years. This is prior to uh, COVID-19, along with tax credits and local housing allowances. And there have been a number of other changes as well. So the introduction and rollout of a kind of harsher sanctioning regime, the introduction of a benefit cap that was initially conceived around a kind of less eligibility principle whereby uh, benefits uh, couldn't be higher than average earnings, but that was subsequently lowered. And that is particularly uh, bad for uh, people living in London. And also uh, a two-child limit being introduced for certain families. And so not being able to access social assistance for children beyond the, the second. Now, a lot of academics and social researchers in light of this have said, you know, next year, next year, we will see this reflected in official statistics or government reporting on low incomes. We will see an increase in rates of relative poverty. But as I said at the beginning, we, we haven't seen that. That in and of itself is a, a kind of a strong motivation for trying to explore heterogeneity below the poverty line in terms of economic resources. But many have also highlighted how these changes to the tax benefit system and working age social security are heavily gendered uh, and raced in ways that are often glossed over. So the work of Leah Basil, Akugrama Julu, uh, Sarah Marie Hall, there's been a lot of work done to try and think about how poverty intersects with questions of uh, social difference and how changes to the tax benefit system and welfare reform are leading to uh, increasingly acute forms of financial hardship. This raises quite interesting questions as well in terms of the politics of poverty measurement, which are, of course, inevitably related to the politics around social security or welfare. There are technical issues around measuring poverty and how do you get the best measure of poverty or the best combination of measures or approaches to look into poverty. But all of that is tied in with what a government, for example, is wanting to look at. So it's one thing to think about what other measures might we put in place to understand deep poverty better or to understand the differential experiences at the bottom of the income distribution, but quite another to have politicians look at that with the same attention as they do to the relative poverty rates, which are quite stable and so supportive of their policies. What do you think is the scope for other poverty measures to be taken seriously? And also, what do you think needs to be done by researchers, by activists, anyone working on poverty in the UK to get politicians and others involved in policymaking to take this issue more seriously and so we don't just look at these relative poverty rates? The kind of politics of poverty measurement flows from... <laughs> what some might see as 
a potentially quite uh, mundane debate and discussion about what what we think matters when it comes to poverty measurement. And I think if you take a pluralistic approach where you try and combine multiple measures of income poverty together, you can gain a fuller picture of what impact changes to the social security system have had over the last 10 years and challenge the kind of second story of poverty that I talked about at the beginning. You can more effectively question the validity of claims that progress is being made when we know as researchers, we know from our own everyday work that there is a a kind of key limitation to how government reporting on low incomes works and how it's received by both policymakers, the media and the general public. And I think that 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 can kind of enliven the debate, the, the kind of public debate around what needs to be done going forward, particularly in the wake of uh, COVID-19. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our conversation. That's been really interesting and some important learnings about the state of poverty in the UK at the moment, particularly for those who are in the worst living conditions, really. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we close our conversation? I think that the only thing that I would like to add is how all of this sits within the context of COVID-19. So in the paper, what I, what I do is I, I show that over the last 10 years, there's been an increasing depth of poverty in the UK with women, black people, uh, children, those in larger families, those in full-time work, more likely to be in deep poverty than they were 10 years ago. And there's been a lot in the news about the kind of devastating effects that COVID-19 is is having on on, on the livelihoods of people. And I think there's a real uh, risk, a very very real risk for many households that, that have lost out a lot over the last 10 years and they will be they were running on empty going into this pandemic so what situation they're in now is really quite serious and i think there's lots of discussion about poverty we're going to see poverty go up next year we're going to see you know increasingly acute forms of financial hardship reflected in government reporting on low incomes and i guess I would just be really keen for the government, researchers, policymakers, media commentators, for them to not uh, make the same mistakes that they did in in the wake of the 2007-2008 global financial crisis. This claim that, oh, next year, next year we will see this reflected. But it's likely that um, median incomes are going to stagnate or fall over the next couple of years. And so it may not be reflected in this sort of relative poverty rate. So we really need to kind of, as a, as a, as a collective, try to do better to more effectively evidence the full distributional effects of COVID-19, 
changes to the labour market and the tax benefit system in the coming years? Absolutely. And I think a very good reminder to end on. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much for this conversation and for your time. This has been really enlightening. And I look forward to your research in the future. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We hope you will join us again next time.